When it comes to diesel prices, you know the story. The national average in May hit a record high of a little more than $5.60 per gallon. If that's not enough, prices in some parts of the country average more than $6 per gallon. For comparison, just two years ago when demand for diesel slumped because of COVID-19, the average cost was around $2.39 a gallon. So why are diesel prices so high? And is there anything that can be done about it? Welcome to the Eyes on the Road podcast, sponsored by PrePass Safety Alliance, the provider of PrePass Way Station Bypass and Electronic Toll Payment Services, plus informed software for improving safety scores and lowering toll-related costs. Online at prepass.com. I'm Evan Lockridge. If trucks are the heart of the trucking industry and drivers are the soul, then it's pretty safe to say that diesel fuel is the lifeblood of trucking. Despite all the talk over the years of alternatively fueled trucks, the use of diesel in trucking has been with us for ages and it's not going anywhere soon. But it's certainly much more expensive. Federal records on diesel prices go back some 28 years. In March of 1994, the average cost was around $1.10. And up until recently, the highest national average ever recorded was in July of 2008, when it hit a little more than $4.70 per gallon. The funny thing is that about six months after that, the price had dropped by around half. And ever since, diesel prices have had some wild swings, but it's been nothing like we've seen lately. Joining me to discuss why this is happening and more is Tom Closa. He's a longtime analyst with the Oil Price Information Service. He's been covering oil and fuel markets for more than 40 years and is one of the best in the business. Tom, it's good to talk with you. Uh, good to talk to you, too. And, and I've never seen a year like this one. And hopefully we won again soon. Well, let's start with the most obvious question that's on the minds of many people in trucking. Why are diesel prices so high? They're really high because, you know, diesel is by far the most important product in Europe. And uh, all of these moves to boycott or have de facto boycotts against Russian molecules, whether it be crude, diesel, gasoline, or what they call intermediates, uh, they hit Europe hard. And when Europe gets hard, uh, we can send our exports to Latin America instead of Europe serving them. And we'll probably send a lot of uh, diesel to uh, to Europe as well. I, I might add that you know, 2021 was a little bit unprecedented in that we drew down inventories on a global basis way below five-year averages. And uh, that can be misleading because five years includes maybe two years of COVID. It, it's, it's been tough. And there's also some efforts to stage the energy transition and move to electric or other fuels. But, you know, that's going to take a long time. Anyone uh, on the progressive side that thought that that would be a one, two or three year process, I think now they know that it has to take place over decades if indeed it's to take place. Well, the public seems to have a lot of theories about the cause of the price spike, ranging from COVID-19, the war in Ukraine, some blame President Biden, others say there's not enough oil refining capacity, to blaming outright price gouging by oil companies. And that's just to mention a few, Tom. Is there any credence to any of this talk? Uh, you know, there's a little credence. Uh, I wouldn't call it gouging, but the exploration and production companies acted more like a cartel, and I'm talking U.S. companies. And they uh, sort of, uh, you know, with whispers and, and statements suggested that 
well, if we start drilling all over the place, we're going to have a repeat of the boom cycles that followed shell booms and the shale busts. So there's a little bit of that, but the market is determined by the bidders and the sellers. And there's just, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of folks that are involved. There is a speculative skew and uh, people are reluctant to blame trading companies. But, you know, the trading companies in gasoline, for example, are like 26 to one on the long side of the market. As far as the president goes, you know, I, I don't think it's appropriate to blame him for what's happened. I would go back and blame the formation of OPEC plus, which was the OPEC cartel plus Russia and Kazakhstan. In completely disingenuous to sort of suggest that the cartel has had no role. I think most of us are capitalists and most of us re realize that cartels, whether it be El Chapo or, uh, you know, one of the cartels on Ozark or whatever, they're bad and they're bad things, particularly when you add Russia to them. So that was the start. And that was in April 2020. And, uh, you know, then Mr. Putin decided to wreak havoc in the Ukraine. And, you know, I think it's probably appropriate to come up with some punishment or some attempt to deal with that. But it's painful and it's expensive. And that's what we're seeing now. One of the things that stands out to me with these high prices are the especially high prices in the Northeast. I'm talking California levels, which are most every time the highest in the country. What is leading to this big spike in the Northeast? Well, you know, Evan, in the old days, you'd had a, a couple of majors or big refiners, and they would kind of take one for the team. They would send product from the Gulf Coast up to Linden, which is the end of the Colonial Pipeline, and not worry about the fact that, uh, you know, the markets implied that there was going to be a drop of 60 or 70 cents from one month to the next. You know, if you're a refiner, you were dealing with uh, 50 to to $100 profits on diesel. But if you're a trading company, a lot of these trading companies that are subsidiaries in some case of refineries are told it's too dangerous to ship it up there. You may take a huge loss, a trading loss on it. So for a while, we didn't see that happening. And of course, we weren't importing much diesel from Europe or elsewhere. And even some of the Canadian barrels were going uh, offshore. So, you know, that was, uh, you know, uh, it, the imperfect storm that really led prices higher. Other factor was, okay, it wasn't record cold in the Northeast, but it was cold enough to send a lot of uh, diesel molecules into the heating oil market. And it was cold enough that we had some natural gas curtailments and diesel is the preferred fuel for people who can power up uh, various factories and utilities uh, with a liquid as opposed to natural gas. Now, there's also a big disparity between the average cost of on-highway diesel and regular-grade gasoline, with diesel running about $1.30 per gallon higher. That compares to a gap of 40 to $0.50 cents per gallon in May of 2020. Why is there such a big price difference between the two fuels compared to just two years ago, Tom? Well, diesel ended the year with very low inventories in the U.S. and Europe and, and in Southeast Asia. And again, if you're not, if you're inland, if you're in the mid-continent or the Rockies, the prices are lower because they don't have access to tidal water. If you have access to tidal water as a refiner, you're probably going to be seduced by some of the offers you get for diesel to send it 
to South America, where they're about to have their winter, or to Europe, where they're desperate for those kind of molecules. And this week, we saw some measures that European countries are going to take to try to wean themselves off uh, Russian molecules. And that's going to that's going to be expensive. So, and I hate to say this, but if you think it's going to get better, just look at the hurricane forecasts for August and September. And I got to tell you, hurricane in August this year, if it cuts out any refining capacity whatsoever, we really could see exponential numbers. And we saw exponential numbers even before Putin in uh, natural gas, electricity, and diesel in Europe and Southeast Asia, uh, even before uh, he decided to invade Ukraine. I'm curious, have exports of American oil or fuel had any effect on high prices? The reason I bring this up is that between 1975 and 2015, there was a ban on U.S. exports of crude oil. And when legislation was being debated on repealing it, critics said at the time that it would lead to higher prices. You know, I I think it's played maybe a small role. And uh, most of the crude that we're exporting now uh, is crude that, you know, if it's light, sweet crude, we have plenty of that. So the excess we can export and perhaps even help out Europe. A lot of the crude oil that's been exported from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve releases is heavier and isn't necessarily something that is going to be sold to local refiners in Louisiana and Texas. So I don't think, you know, there's not really any talk about uh, any kind of tweaking of the export rules for crude oil. I think there is talk about doing something about the exports of diesel. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw some kind of speed bumps uh, if you were looking to export to Latin America, which is where most of our barrels go. I don't think there can be any uh, reasonable speed bumps if we're exporting it to Europe. That would be akin to kind of, you know, cutting off lend-lease back in World War II. So uh, these are tough decisions, but I wouldn't be surprised to see something to make some of the diesel stay at home. Because you look at it, and our demand is about 3.8 million barrels domestically during the summer, you know, somewhere under four. And uh, we've been exporting maybe one and a quarter million barrels a day. So, you know, essentially there's consumption of U.S. manufactured diesel molecules somewhere around five and a quarter million barrels a day. And that means that we probably have less than 20 days supply. So you get a refinery go down or some sort of issue and prices can go parabolic, you know, just to all time highs. They could revisit those highs we saw uh, you know, earlier in the quarter, and they can do it very quickly. You mentioned the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and of course, earlier this year, President Biden opened it up to help lower fuel prices. Now there's talk in late May of tapping distillate fuel stockpiles, plus temporarily suspending fuel taxes and other ideas to help lower prices. Are the ones I mentioned going to have any real impact, or are there other possibilities out there? Well, I think the SBR sales uh, will have an impact. Now, maybe it means we only go to $120 instead of 140 or 150 but that's a lot of oil. You know, I think it's 180 million barrels of crude oil over six months. I'm not as concerned about that, although ultimately 
you have to replenish that oil. But I think that if the Biden administration were to work with uh, exploration and production companies in the U.S., they could probably get a backstop for those producers who are worried about a crash. By the way, the break-even number for Permian Basin crude, West Texas crude, is probably about $25 a barrel. So they're doing quite well during this. I, you know, I think that uh, the heating oil and the gasoline reserves are just so small that they wouldn't have any impact. They might have an impact if prices in the Northeast, you know, went to six or seven dollars barrel. But uh, you know, there's like one day supply in those reserves, and it would take about ten days to get them released on the market. So. I think uh, they're pursuing the right course in terms of trying to temper prices. The problem is, you know, it's like saying, well, the temperature today is 101. We're going to get it down to 98. So you might not even notice that you're a little bit more comfortable. But uh, there are other countries that are going to participate in the releases. But, you know, right now the world is, is you know, we thought that crude oil demand would surpass su- supply in 2022, well before Putin. Um, now we have the mumbling and murmurs about demand destruction. And, you know, we're seeing a little bit of it in the United States for diesel and gasoline. I would submit that we're seeing much more of it in emerging economies. Uh, they have to buy oil in the dollar. And the dollar has been at its strongest level in 40 years. So if you buy oil with the dollar, but your currency is rupees, uh, you're suffering a lot more than people in the United States are. So what's your outlook for prices, at least through the rest of the year, as well as any warning signs we need to be on the lookout for? Well, I think that uh, July is the pent-up demand, mostly for gasoline month. That's the month where you know, people are going to take their vacations and we're going to see demand probably go above 400 million gallons a day, uh, which is, you know, almost twice what we saw during COVID. Um, So I think the demand surge drives prices uh, to be strong. uh, And that might mean more gasoline production at the expense of diesel production in July. I think August is all about supply. You know, a hurricane in August can have incredible impact. Hurricane in September, not as much, or October. But essentially, uh, if the forecasters are accurate, we're going to at least get some precautionary shutdowns. You know, you have to shut down a refinery if it's in one of those probability cones where they might be dealing with uh, high winds or uh, water surges in the next 24 to 36 hours. And it certainly looks as though we'll see those. I hope we don't see anything like last year where we had Hurricane Ida not only knock out a few refineries, but knock out a refinery for good in the case of the Phillips refinery in Alliance, Louisiana. So I think, you know, anything goes in July and August and anything goes might mean some really, really spectacular price spikes, which I don't think are going to last all that long. But uh, we can't afford to use an, uh, lose another Gulf Coast refiner. That is Tom Closa with the Oil Price Information Service. You can find him and Opus online at opisnet.com.
oilprice.com. Tom, thanks very much. A great, Evan. And when you're online visiting the Oil Price Information Service, don't forget to head over to prepass.com to read the latest blogs and trucking white papers, as well as listen to previous episodes of this podcast, as well as through your favorite podcasting service. You can follow Prepass on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to Eyes on the Road from Prepass. I'm Evan Lockridge, and remember, keep your eyes on the road.